that you speak to us. And as we hear it now, please will you give us the concentration to listen on a warm evening, the humility to receive what you have to say to us, and hearts that trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. David. If you want to take hold of um, a Bible, in the Bibles nearby, we're beginning on page 5, uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and beginning at verse 1. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve. 
because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And our second reading is on page 1128 in the New Testament, uh, the book of Romans, chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 18 to 32. Page 1128. Romans chapter 1 and beginning at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God... So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before Darren uh, comes to speak, we're going to stand and sing in praise of God again on these precious truths. As the music begins, let's stand. Oh, 
precious truths from our gracious God that we can stand on. Do please, do please sit down again. What is the matter with you? Have you ever said that to someone? Maybe, maybe in the heat of an argument when you, when you can't believe how they're behaving. What's the matter with you? And maybe it's the question that, that springs to mind as we scroll through our news feeds and find nurses who 
murder babies under a cloak of care, political leaders who lie and scheme and stir up hate, policemen, celebrities, even church leaders who use their position to abuse the vulnerable. As we hear of atrocities committed in wars in Ukraine and Sudan, or children in our own city being, being drawn into drug gangs, or our climate damaged through greedy overconsumption. What's the matter with people? And then, of course, we turn and we look at our own lives and see the selfishness that lurks there, my greed, my envy of others, my love of gossip, my need to be first and to have my own way. What's the matter with me? And where do we look to find the answers? Well, well there's all sorts of places. Some, some people would say, well, it's all just a problem of education. People just need better information to make better choices. And so schools, well, they need to spend more time teaching about healthy relationships or responsible citizenship, and that'll fix it. Others say, no, 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 no. Now the problem's the system. Don't you see our society, our government, our institutions, they're all riddled with injustice. Inequality and racism and abuse of power, it's all baked in. So the only answer is to tear it all down and start over. Still others would say, no, Darren, it's just a fact of our biology. The evolutionary drive to replicate our genes at any cost, it inevitably leads to conflict, to so the weak getting crushed. It's just survival of the fittest. It's not right or wrong, it's just the way we are. And if all those answers leave us, leave us feeling it's just a bit inadequate, well, what's the alternative? What does the Bible have to say? Does it have a deeper, more convincing diagnosis of, well, the problem of us? Well, that's what I hope we're going to find out this term as we work our way through these early foundational chapters of Genesis. And today we're beginning with Genesis chapter 3. If you've closed your Bibles, flick back to page 5, won't you? And, and we'll see that, that when God starts to answer this question of what's wrong with us, he doesn't take us to the classroom or to politics or to evolutionary theory. No, he takes us, do you notice, to a garden, to an account of the very first human beings. And there, he shows us that our instinct as we read the news and, and look at our lives, that it's, it's right. Something is the matter with us. We're not how we're supposed to be, how we were made to be. In Genesis 1 and 2, you see, humanity is declared by God to be very good. The crowning achievement of his holy good creation. And then you get to Genesis 3, and you see that something devastating has gone wrong. So what is it? Well, let's go back to that garden and see three things together. And the first is the lie we've swallowed. It begins, do you see, with a snake, Satan, seeking out the woman with a sneering question. Verse 1, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden. God's provided for these first human beings extravagantly. 
a whole garden, limited by just a single prohibition. It's there, back in chapter 2, verse 16. God says, eat from any tree you like. They're all yours, except that one. But Satan, he twists it, trying to make the one thing in the woman's mind the only thing. And behind it, the insinuation, wow, God really is mean, isn't he? And when the woman tries to correct him, Satan moves from sowing doubt to outright denial. Die? You've not fallen for that one, have you? Now that tree won't kill you. Eve, my dear, no, come here. Let me bring you in on the real truth. Verse five, for God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened. Why do you think he's keeping you? From it, Eve. Because God wants to restrict you, hold you back, because it serves his interest to keep you in your place. Stop you being true to yourself and reaching your full potential. Satan wants Eve to start seeing God's garden, not as it is, as a paradise of bountiful provision, but as a prison, watched over not by a generous father, but a slave master. You can't trust him, Eve. That's the lie that starts with the denial of God's goodness and then continues with a promise, a freedom from him. Do you see, when you eat, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And what's he promising? Well, not just knowing the difference between good and evil, because they already know that, don't they? God's already told them. All these trees are good for you. That one's not. No, Satan's offering a knowing that's, well, it's like God's knowing. Because God's the creator. He's the one who establishes reality, who personally defines what good is and what's its opposite in relation to him. And Satan's telling Eve, She can do that too. Choose for herself what's good and what's not. Be her own lawmaker, a free agent, no longer dependent on her creator to tell her what's right. You do you, Eve. And she swallows it. Notice in verse six how it says, she saw that the fruit was good. It's an echo of Genesis 1. Where over and over there, God sees and declares his creation good. But now Eve's doing it herself. Swallowing the lie that she can reimagine reality her way. Decide that something's right, that God's called wrong. Break free, take control of her own destiny. All the time, of course. Well, really, she's just serving the agenda of a snake, isn't she? And Adam, who in verse 6, we learn has been there all along, challenging nothing. He goes right along with it. As together, they swallow the lie that God doesn't really want what's best for them. And so the good life must be found in independence of him, in rejecting God's word and deciding what's right based on what their own desires are telling them. And because Adam and Eve, there in that garden, because they weren't independent individuals, but representatives of the whole of humanity that would follow them, 
That lie that they swallowed that day, well, it's the same lie that's wormed its way deep into every single human heart. It's like a poison that's, that's rotted the tree from the roots up. And so, isn't it the same lie that all of us believe every time we sin, that God isn't really good? And so when his word tells me that that relationship with someone who isn't my wife, but who makes me feel so happy and fulfilled, that that's wrong, that's only because he doesn't really care. Because he's restricting me, stopping me from being true to myself. And when he tells me not to lie at work, it's because he doesn't really care about the pressure that I'm under. And when he warns me not to just go with a crowd at school, well, it's because he doesn't care how much it will cost me. It's the unspoken lie behind my every moment of temptation. And it's at the heart of what's the matter with us as human beings. Because as our Romans reading put it, we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. That he isn't really good. That he can't be trusted. And so the only way to be truly happy is to get away from him and do what I know is best. The lie we've swallowed. And then secondly, see the damage it's done. In verse 6, Adam and Eve, they act on the lie and they eat the fruit. And in verse 7, just as Satan promised, the eyes of both of them were opened. But not to liberating new horizons, but to fear and shame. As it says, they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And they do that not because our bodies are dirty or shameful. That's another of Satan's lies. No, they're God's good creation. No, their impulse to, to hide their physical nakedness, it's a sign of a deeper spiritual exposure. As it begins to dawn on them just what it is they've done. Because it's easy, isn't it, to think of sin in impersonal terms. You do that, it's just, just a thing I've got wrong. Just, just a bad decision I made. And if we do that, well, it's easy to minimise it, isn't it? Because if it's just eating a bit of fruit or dabbling in a bit of gossip or indulging a few lustful thoughts, well, what's the big deal? And here in the garden, we see that it is. Because sin most fundamentally is personal. It's not breaking a rule. It's breaking a relationship. What Adam and Eve have done is not just a bit of wrong eating. It's high treason. It's a declaration of war against the rightful king of the universe. And even more painfully, it's the betrayal of the most intimate friendship. Betrayal of the God who doesn't just provide for their needs, but verse 8 tells us, likes to walk with them in the garden. Who's given himself in deep, unguarded, close friendship with them. And that's what humanity's chosen to destroy. And you know, don't you, the damage that betrayal does to a relationship the trust it shatters, the devastation it wreaks. Nothing's ever the same afterwards. 
Some of us, I know, will have experienced the agony of that firsthand. And the damage can be done with, with something really small, can't it? One impulsive night that destroys a marriage. One thoughtless comment that ends a friendship. Only little things. Not a big deal. Yes, they are. Because betrayal is personal. And in one stroke, Adam and Eve have destroyed the relationship that they were made to find security and fulfillment in. And it leaves them alienated and in the wrong with the one who has only ever loved them. And they can't bear it. And so, they hide. Hide from God and hide from one another. And you know, don't you, that humanity's been in hiding ever since? That, that this here is the root of, of all the masks that we wear. All the ways we feel the need to pretend to be better than we are. Because we know that we're alienated from the God that we can't live without. Yeah, sure, you're right. You and I weren't individually in that garden on the day the damage was done. But we're all included in their betrayal. And we show it, don't we, every day, by how similarly we all spurn God's kindness to us. We're no different. So deep down we know that we're in the wrong with him. And just like Adam and Eve, we hide from God, from each other, even from ourselves. And how do we do it? Well, the same way they did. Sure, not by going and living in a bush or wearing a fig leaf sarong. That wouldn't be a good look, would it? But just the same, we hide from God using his creation. We take the created things he's given us to enjoy and we use them to try and cover our sense of wrongness and tell us that everything's fine. It could be so many things. Our work or our exam results, our friendships or our family, our social media profile or our physical fitness. It could be sex or money or alcohol or serving at church. I wonder, do you know what it is for you? Not bad things, good things. Part of God's good creation. But get this. Fig leaves were never meant to be underpants. And these things were never meant to give us our identity, to reassure us we're okay, to cover over what we know is wrong. They're not meant to do what only God can. Remember what Romans 1 told us happens when, when we exchange the truth about God for a lie? We don't become liberated free agents we end up worshipping and serving created things rather than the creator because we need them to hide ourselves in. Only, as we do, we end up becoming like our fig leaves, flimsy and fragile. And all kinds of human ugliness, that, that long, awful list that Romans 1 ended with, all of that follows as we fight to hold on to our fig leaves at any cost. What's really the matter with us? Well, the Bible says, see our betrayal and the damage it's done. 
But then finally, see also the hope that we have. As in verse 8, hope himself quite literally comes walking into the garden. And as he does, we might imagine how the mean, restrictive slave master that Satan's been painting God as is going to respond to Adam and Eve's rebellion. The fiery judgment he's going to be quick to rain down. Only that's not how it is at all, is it? Because the real God isn't anything like the lie. No, instead, he's gentle, calling to them. Verse 9, where are you? Not because he doesn't know, but because he wants to draw them out, to bring them near. And they're more gentle questions. Who told you that? Have you eaten from the tree? Not because he needs the information, but like a gentle, patient parent, he's, he's encouraging his guilty children to come clean. Of course, what he gets back is deflection and blame shifting. It was all her. The snake made me do it. And worst of all, it was the woman you put here. It's really your fault, God. What do you expect us to do in the situation you've put us in? Do you see how deeply the lies taking root in the human heart? And so finally, God, the judge, does pronounce his sentence. Not because he's vindictive, but because he's good. And who'd want to live in a world where wrong wasn't ultimately banged to rights? But even here, the light of grace, it keeps shining through. Yes, there are consequences of humanity's actions, pain and disorder in family life, work life, relationships with one another, suffering and death. Consequences we feel in real and terrible ways in our lives today. I don't want to minimise that for a moment. Betrayal always does have terrible consequences. And then there's the ultimate one. Verse 23, banishment from the garden. Because that's what they've been grasping at, isn't it? Freedom to go it alone without their creator's stifling presence. And it's as if the Lord says, okay, have it your way. See what life is like away from the relationship you were made for. Away from the one who's the source of goodness and life. He gives them what they think they want. But notice that even as he does so, this gracious God is pursuing them with promise. It's only hinted at, but it's there. It's there, did you notice in verse 15, with that strange promise of a child, the woman's offspring, a human being God will one day send to crush evil and liberate from Satan's lies. And it's there again in verse 21, where something just astonishing happens, where the Lord himself makes clothes for them in place of their own botchit DIY efforts. What kind of God cares like that? Stoops down to make a covering with his own hands for those who betrayed him. And why garments of skin? Is it because God has a thing against plant-based outfits? No. 
It's because Adam and Eve are under sentence of death. You will surely die, he told them. And it's not a lie. Separation from the God of life is ultimate spiritual death. And by the time we reach Genesis 5, it'll show itself in physical death too. But before that, here in the garden, when death comes, it's not Adam's or Eve's, no another dies instead. An animal sacrificed so its skin can cover their shame. As a promise. Just a first glimmer of hope. But it's a glimmer that grows. As we read on through the Old Testament and see the Lord establishing sacrifices for his people. An animal's death to provide atonement, covering for sin. Ah, but that's cheating. You can hear, God, you can hear Satan objecting. An animal, an animal's not an adequate substitute, God. No, humanity has to die for their own sin. And he's right. And so one day we'll see just how low this God will stoop to make a covering with his own hands for those who betrayed him. How he'll take on our humanity so that his own hands can be nailed and his own blood can be shed as the final covering for our shame, as the ultimate way back into the relationship we were made for, and the final proof that the lie we've swallowed isn't true. As on the cross, we see this gloriously good God giving himself in our place. And it's all there, promised in the garden, even amidst all the horrible mess that we've made. Promised by this good God who is the sure and certain only hope for all that's really the matter with us. Let me give us a moment to be silent and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Our Father, thank you that you tell us the truth. And that as you show us the truth of, of who we are, of, of what's the matter with us, you also show us the truth of, of who you are in all your goodness, in all your beauty, in all your graciousness to us. Lord, how we thank you for who you truly are and how you've shown it to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite the band.